Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to talk about winter forages. In our spotlight, we'll look at Lando Lakes and Microsoft's carbon trading platform. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about Soil Bank. Cool Beans, that's corny, we'll have some current events. And we'll wrap it all up with our Ag Idiom of the Week. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey guys. Max Garvey. What's up everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So the Super Bowl is over. The big game. Well, it was a big blowout. Uh, I I stopped watching in the third quarter. I It's football. I watched it out. Yeah. Uh, you got to say were the last moments, but they were some sad moments. It was a pretty sad game altogether. After half, I thought there was a chance the Chiefs would come back, and then when they didn't, I was also yeah. out after the, the third quarter. The last last play I saw was the uh, Buccaneers' last touchdown, which then I thought, oh, well, they'll probably run up the score. I figured it was going to be higher, then I'm like, oh. I was surprised when it was still 31-9 to nine at the end. Spoiler alert. He said it was the <laughs> first time Mahomes didn't score a touchdown. His team's... In, in high school or college wow. or pros. Like that, ever. Ever. That he didn't well, score he, a touchdown. He did his best to score yes. one. Those are some of the most you, impressive incompletes ever, where you can't he's literally horizontal and just the one time I think he was just chucking it up and it hit a guy in the hands yeah. on the other side. So Yeah, between his collapsing O line and the ridiculous number of penalties on yeah. the Chiefs defense. Some fairly questionable ones. Got my tinfoil hat on here. Well, uh, I'm with you on that. Especially after watching the Packers. It, it's Goodell. It's, 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 it's un- uncatchable, not a thing anymore. It's yes. Goodell. Oh, my God. That was not even close to being catchable. It's Goodell sending a message that all these years it wasn't Brady in New England that he had a problem with. It was Belichick. It was Belichick. It's not like Brady's out. Goodell's doing everything he can to help him. <laughs> this is for you, did, Belichick. Did you see Russell Wilson having to sit by Goodell during that game? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I felt yeah. bad for him. He looked like, oh, man. He was stuck between his wife and Roger Goodell. <laughs> Good Russell Wilson must have won that. He won award. the man of the year. Man, yeah, yeah. Yep. is that too? I'm like, why would he be sitting by Walter Goodell? Payton, yeah. Walter Payton, Mr. Yes. Unlimited. Yeah. Yep. He does a lot of stuff though, for especially like Children's Hospital and stuff. Is it? So, That's oh, pretty yeah. cool. He sure, by, he deserved by, it. By all accounts, pretty good dude, I guess. Any commercials you guys really liked? Oh, there were a couple. Yeah. The they Jason Alexander right. one's great, which yeah, I like. Seinfeld, you can't yeah. go. Wrong with his face on a sweatshirt and making funny faces. You can't put my face on a sweatshirt. <laughs> I like good. the the Cheetos commercial with uh, uh, Shaggy. The wasn't me commercial. Yep, and Mila Kunis and yep. Ashton Kutcher. Yep. Yep. And then the other one I liked was the uh, McConaughey. Where he the was 3D. flat. Yeah. Part yeah. of it. Part of it is flat Matthew. Really, and I don't know how good of a commercial it actually was. I love McConaughey, and I'm excited for Doritos 3D to come back. Because those were those were a hit when I was in like first grade, like those were if you had those in your lunchbox. Freedom, freedom gr- middle sc- or, uh, grade school was all about the. Oh, if you had if the you had three, Matthew three, McConaughey three, in your lunchbox, if you had, yeah. and if you had McConaughey, all right, all right, all right, okay, and folded them up. But if you had the Doritos 3D, you unlocked a world of trading possibilities. <laughs> so, the M&M's one was all right. I was a little disappointed in Bud Light. I thought theirs would be a little bit better. When they brought back the legends, and then they just killed Bud Knight. Oh uh, yeah, that was kind of lame. Yeah, the Drake from State Farm was kind of yep. funny. Yeah, that we talked about that one earlier. Yeah. That one was great because Drake made 
the Raptors lose or something, yeah. right? He's bad luck. And then they were saying how Mahomes and, and Rodgers. Okay, Max was saying it, apparently. I He's tweeted the, that. Yeah, like, nice. <laughs> like an hour after good. the Super Bowl, I tweeted that, like with a screenshot of him in the thing. Like I was like, this it's the Drake curse. That's yeah. what did us in. Drake from State Farm. Drake from State Farm cursed Rodgers and Mahomes. The best was and it had Paul, Paul Rudd. Rudd, yeah. He's he's my favorite. The driest of the dry, Paul Rudd. And, and I do enjoy that they brought back the Rodgers guy for that. Yep, job. yep. <laughs> it, just, it just stereotypes all of us, doesn't it? Yeah. But, it, you know, in general, I thought the, the how, showing was a little poorer this year as far as commercials. How, how inaccurate is it? It stereotypes all of us, but how inaccurate is it? Not very. You see Aaron Rodgers in public. What are you doing? <laughs> Rodgers! <laughs> Disco double track. I know I'm doing it. I can't help myself. Yep. You're going to wait in Woodman's well, until gotta, you see him, aren't you? You've got to wait till he's hanging out in Corey Lins- the back of Corey Lindsley's truck, driving yeah. around with some Bud Light. And then... Handing out free Bud Lights. <laughs> are you going to thank, thank him or congratulate him on being engaged? It was Bakhtiari's truck. My bad. Yeah. Um. That depends. Is engaged better than dating for Aaron? Does he perform better when he's engaged than dating? Because his performance when he's dating is... Well, apparently he was dating he this was, girl. Though was, was he was dating, dating all season. Like a secret. We just didn't know. So, Oh, this wasn't like a... This was his clarity moment, remember? Yeah. Oh, how clear he is all year? Well, Maybe that's what he was referring to. I met Shailene on a they beautiful were, starry night. Before Danica, I think they were supposedly together, and then he was with Danica. I think so Danica I like, introduced them or something. Oh. Or like, is, yeah, because I, I seem to remember him being spotted with her or something a long time ago, and now that it came out that they were engaged. You know, you know what? You know what I do? I do like. Oh, geez, my computer's making noise here. Um, or not what I like, but I feel like Danica had a little bit bigger like stardom than Shailene Woodley oh, does yeah. at this point. So I think that maybe her being Shailene Woodley's still popular, but she's definitely on the downward side of her popularity i think like she's not still no the, idea she's i've never heard of her before me neither. this so she did uh divergent, divergent yeah the, that series of books or whatever and she was supposed to be in i think uh one of the spider-man movies but she got cut out of it like she was gonna be mary jane to not this spider-man but the last okay. spider-man or something i Anyway, it was all in this article about to, them. to me. She has less like of this spotlight on her than Danica did, or oh, yeah. than Olivia Munn did. So oh, yeah. maybe that's a good thing for Aaron that they're not two people that are mega popular all the time. We ever find out what they did with their giant house they bought together? So didn't they have like some seventeen million dollar house? Him and Danica. Dana selling Danica's selling crystals out of the back. <laughs> Don't know, but yeah. All right, do you guys want to hear about my big research study I did over the weekend? Yes. So sure. I went so I went snowmobiling, right? And I started paying attention to what fields had the most snow as I was going through. Oh. Okay. So the Rolodex in your head. So <laughs> as I'm going through and now um new this year or not new this year, probably the last two, three years, they started labeling winter wheat fields as like a extra oh, really? like, like inst- stay an extra reminder trail. like, hey, you buttholes, like <laughs> don't be dumb. Okay. Because that's everybody's favorite. Because the winter wheat field, you know, is flat, Give and her. you can, you know, get what rid of beans. What kind of sign is it? Like it just says the, when you enter the field. Because yeah, like on the little orange reflector, yep, and it, then it just they says put another one underneath, like a yellow, um, like like any it other says hazard winter sign. wheat, literally, yeah, it or it says wheat. like winter crop, winter wheat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So I started paying attention. Okay. So far and away, a chopped corn silage field that was worked. The least snow retention. That's where we were riding on dirt, dirt, like just having a hard time. 
And at the absolute top of the list was the hay and the winter wheat. Like those, those fields were perfect, you know, nice, solid 10, 12 inches of snow, like beautiful. So did you come up with a snert index then? (laughs) I did. Well, a snert index? No, but I, I wish I would have had a GoPro on because you literally, even if you didn't know, you could tell every time we transitioned from something that had a growing crop to didn't because it was night and day white and then snert. Yep. And it was, it was pretty clear because it's, it was really windswept after we got our big snow. Right. So, um, it blew everything. They they like groomed that snow down and then it kind of blew into that a little bit too, I think to help in spots where like you say a worked field, it wouldn't have did that. So that was a, it was just funny. It not, obviously not, this isn't groundbreaking news, you guys, but it's funny (laughs) that we've had this conversation and then I first, firsthand, like, was seeing it in the field just I was thinking as I was riding, I was like, man, these winter wheat fields and hay fields are so much. And then there was a sorghum field. Whoa. I'm pretty sure it was cover crop, but they had sorghum in the cover crop. That was, that had a lot of snow on it. Like that was really holding on to the. So you never do stop thinking about agronomy, do you? Uh, sometimes <laughs> when I sleep, but I even dream about it sometimes. <laughs> so Sierra, sa- Sierra says that at times I have corn varieties coming out in my sleep. sleep. Like I'm just. Yep. spouting yeah are those nightmares or <laughs> yeah. it depends it depends on the variety probably <laughs> you know oh yeah i'm not gonna oh. put anybody down today but you know there's there's a couple that give me nightmares <laughs> just rolls over oh to calb 54 4310 4310 yeah so yep Anyway, there's my big. That was my big research project for the weekend, guys. So we'll submit that to the local uh, egg journal. I'm All sure. Right. Sure, you sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's since we're talking about winter wheat and other winter crops, let's transition into our topic for today: winter forage. So, what do we got for the folks here today, Max? So, winter forage and you. Okay. So, um, winter forage. There was a female lamb. Winter. Yes, winter forages and ewes. Because we're from use, use we're from northeast guys. Wisconsin, use, use winter forage and use. Okay, so start with what is a winter forage? So a winter forage is a crop that's planted in the fall and harvested for forage the following spring into summer. So like alfalfa doesn't count, right? We have that in the fields over winter, but it doesn't. That's not a winter forage. Okay, no. but things like um, winter wheat, which isn't always a forage necessarily, but it's a winter crop. Um, the big ones around here are winter rye and winter triticale. And then any of your any of your cover crop mixes that you're gonna harvest um, the following year. So you might do, uh, um, you know, after you harvest your wheat, you might do like a a rye oats uh, red clover, and then hopefully harvest that that following spring for at least one cutting of forage. Um, so like like I say here, I I think the most common examples for us as far as forage is uh, winter rye and winter triticale. I don't think there's a lot of other ones that are more consistently harvesting on when when would you decide rye or triticale which what makes that decision to plant Ooh, that's a well so that's a that there's a couple different factors there so the first one is timing um when we can plant we can plant rye a little bit later than we can plant triticale yep um i like to look pretty heavily into drainage on those fields Uh, winter rye seems to be a little bit more hardy in winter triticale, if it gets wet feet going into the fall or going into the winter. Um, the other thing is uh, making sure you know how it's going to balance in your ration. So they do have different feed properties. And depending on how you want to harvest it or how you want to use it, how you want to feed it, 
Um, I think, I think they have. I think, I think honestly, I like rye. If we're gonna bail it, I like to have rye over triticale. If we're gonna chop it, triticale probably has a little bit higher feed value. But or if you're going to heifers or something, maybe we it choose depends rye. what you're feeding. Yeah, yeah. then then maybe we want to go a little bit lower in the. We want to go with the rye because it has a little bit less. You know, it's not quite as hot of a of a feed. So, so much of the feeding quality aspect too is when you harvest it. Mm-hmm. So take that into account too. Is you know. And rye is going to mature a little faster, right, in the spring. Yep, right. Yep. So that that's all part of that equation as well. So and and that kind of moves us right into our next uh, our next kind of subject here topic here is wh- why we like winter forages. So the first thing is it's utilization of land in unproductive months, right? Generally, we don't get a lot of production out of a field in you know from September, say September fifteenth to April fi- or May fifteenth, right? We usually don't unless we're planting a winter rye, because then it's growing from September 15th to October 1st, November 1st, depending on the frost, and it's up and going right away as soon as that snow comes off in the spring. So you're getting growth on a field in months where normally it just kind of sits idle waiting for the ground to dry or to be warm enough to plant corn, all that kind of stuff. Think of it using GDUs and sunlight that you normally basically waste or don't utilize. Correct. Um, and you do you do pay land rent on a twelve month rent, not on a three. So if we can use if we can use land for more than just you know May through September, well, it's probably probably useful for us. Um, it does it does provide some advantages for uh, manure management, weed suppression, and erosion control. So we do have different rules as far as spreading on gr- on growing crops versus bare ground. Um, I know, I know we, we talked a lot about manure the last, or, you know, spreading the last couple of weeks and how we try to manage that. Erosion control, obviously, we just talked about snurt. That's erosion. Right. And the biggest thing there, though, is planting date, right? We want to, the earlier we early, plant, yeah. the, I mean, and obviously there's factors that affect when we can get out in the field and plant, but the earlier we plant, the more growth you're going to have in the fall, you know, the, the better potential for erosion control is going to be versus you know, afterthought that you put in in November 1st or something. Yeah, it germinated and it's there, but it's really not doing you any good. Yeah. And I think we even see a difference like planting in the first half of September versus even the 20th of September. Oh, yeah. That's uh, a huge part of GDUs. Um, just looking up the kind of calculator going back to that. And most of those GDUs, you're going to get about five to 600 in that range, you know, that we aren't using. And most of those come in September. You have basically almost 300 of those yeah. in that time. So like you say, if you miss half of September, you miss you miss that boat. So that is an important part, though, if, and, if we and, can off that. And you're going to be missing out on your weed suppression and your erosion control because those weeds are more likely to start popping up with those GDUs. Your erosion control, if we have a wet fall, rain on bare ground, that's where a lot of your erosion is going to come from. Um, it'll still help you in the spring having that growing crop, but the sooner you can get it in, the sooner those plants are going, wouldn't the sooner you say, you're going to see those other benefits. Wouldn't you say, though, Matt, that you have a better, your crop is just healthier in the spring if you plant it earlier in the fall and have a healthier plant in the fall? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So you're going to gain both ways. Yep. So, and then uh, another another big topic or big thing to think about is, our, our, I, I wrote it down as ration adjustments. So what I really mean is this gives us another thing to move to work into our ration. So it can be hard if we're only growing corn silage and hay to feed everything from calves starting on solid food to, you know, 1500 pound, you know, milkers. So 
having a rye or a triticale or whatever else winter forage you can come up with, whatever cover crop mix, that might fit a ration for a 600-pound heifer a little better than, you know, some, some high-quality alfalfa and corn silage. Especially cheap-wise, it'll be a lot more cost-effective. Yeah, I can grow a lot of rye for this for way less than what it costs me to grow, you know, an alfalfa, okay. and I can harvest I can harvest that rye in one one trip and probably get close to the same tonnage or more tonnage in that one trip than I can in an entire summer of harvesting alfalfa or grass hay. What if you are feeding your heifers? That gives you flexibility. If you miss the window for a, a higher quality forage, absolutely, at least you get a use for it. Yeah. Yeah. How many times do we get to like, oh, we're gonna cut tomorrow? And then it rains for three days, and that rye goes from good feed to not good feed oh, in those three days. Or you've got first crop, yeah. this, yep. and corn planting all happening at the same time. Right. Which which really segues nicely into my next point here is that there is flexibility with these winter crops. So we can plant them on September 15th and say, we're going to chop rye next spring to feed, feed heifers. And uh, we could get to next spring and say, hey, we got a ton of feed laying around. Let's uh, let this rye go all the way, all the way to seed. Let let it, you know, mature, and let's combine it and take the seed for more cover crop, and then take the straw because we need straw. So it, yes, we say winter forage, but it does have the ability to flex, just like we talk about planting corn. And hey, we got corn in late; it was supposed to be grain, but it's going to stay too wet. We're just going to chop it. This can go the other way. We can let this go long. Um, you can flex it short as well and say, oh, just a cover crop. Yep. Didn't overwinter maybe as well as you liked, or like you said, your high-end forages don't need it. Well, it's still going to have some benefit and, you know, green plant some corn into it early and spray it off or spring, something like spring that. Spring comes so, early and we get excited and we say, you know what, yeah. we're not waiting for this. We got a good window at the end of April. Let's go. So That's what I like about it. Like you say, Max, it gives you a lot of options. Yep. We don't we don't have to be tied to one or the other. Where when Once you plant alfalfa, you have alfalfa planted and you are invested now. You have to at least see it through that first year usually. So, and then like we said before, relatively inexpensive, right? We can, we can buy, you know, bin run oats somewhere or bin run rye or whatever and, and plant it. And it's not going to cost us, you know, what, seven or say 14 bucks an acre, right? Compared to planting alfalfa at 200 bucks an acre, no, 100 bucks be an 200 acre. No, not 200, but, but, ba- but yeah, 200 bucks yeah, a bag. 200 yeah. bucks a bag. There we go. That's, that's what I meant to say, right? Plus now 200 bucks a bag. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're at, you're at usually in that, yeah, yeah. you're, you're much higher. The Harvextra tech fee went down this year, guys. <laughs> thank oh, so God. It's, cheaper. it's only going to be 450 a bag. Thank God for that. It's like 20 bucks. 20 bucks. Sound nice. Yeah, no, I, <clears throat> and with bin run, you, you are going to want to seed a little bit more. So if you, some of that savings is, it's going to be in, yeah, one forty. Making up for that. That's what I one forty. One forty. So one between one hundred and one fifty probably be high. Okay, so, so it's yeah, much. So much there you more. go. We can plant rye for a lot cheaper than that, right? So and then uh, I'm going to just an introduction on where we start with winter forages. I'm sure we can go down all kinds of rabbit holes here, but uh, when guys start to ask questions about doing something like this, I think the easiest place for us to start is taking off corn silage. And planting winter rye. Okay, we, in general, we have pretty good planting conditions, right? If we're able to chop the rye off, or chop corn silage off, that means it should be relatively dry. Sometimes, okay. So um, we can get that planted, and then that's in the ground early, and we can chop that off the next spring. If we are taking corn silage, we know we have animals in the rotation, so rye fits nicely because we can make more animal feed. Um, 
and then you have the option to you could you could drill that rye in or you could spin it on with fertilizer if you wanted to um a couple different options there and then you know in the spring there's it's endless possibilities so we could come out um and frost seed alfalfa into that rye and then eventually chop rye and have alfalfa growing underneath we can do nothing and we can chop the chop rye um bag it pile it silo it bale it whatever you want to do so it's super flexible and then um we could turn right around and plant back into that as long as we have our herbicide program figured out right we have to we do have to plan for that right and i'll become a weed but that's okay we can we can work through that so that's my that's my baseline we want to start planting something to overwinter rye after corn silage i think is a great place to start the other thing I think that you can do too is I've had guys plant a winter forage and with the intention to harvest and then interseed alfalfa in it really early. Like if you have the soil that can do that and, you know, if you have a heavier soil and maybe you're just getting into the no-till and you're not quite have that soil structure yet, maybe you're going to do a little bit of damage with your wheel tracks if it's wet. But if you have a lighter soil or good soil structure, you can go in early when the rye is two or three inches tall interseed some alfalfa and you got like a spring seeded alfalfa where you don't have to wait that extra month or whatever so it gives you a little windows there too and and with the root mass and the 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 surface you know the above ground growth that's going to help track or carry your um, equipment too so kind of works both ways so there are some disadvantages too as you um go into this system if depending on what you're planning to do with that forage uh, it does push your corn planting back a little bit so if you're looking at harvesting around first crop timing that means you're looking at memorial day ish probably planting corn at at best the end of may but probably that first second week of june Uh, so you're gonna have to adjust your day lengths your maturities that you're looking at for your corn silage if you're looking to do this kind of program i've had it work in mid-may to harvest but you know you're not the tonnage isn't quite as there but the quality is better and it, it didn't always work out perfect but it can it can work so just knowing that part but that is a big disadvantage to this is you're going to have a certain amount of acres and, and maybe you can't plant those acres then anyway is um you have other you know you got all these other acres of corn to plant it's not like you've by June 1st on some years, you may not be completely done. So that's something to think about too, is just you spread out your workload a little bit, um, but this can also add to the workload, obviously. So <laughs> right, another- that is just, like we said, when we talk about advantages of this, there's a lot of advantages, but you also got to talk about the other side of the coin here, and that's this with later planting. Right, it's another harvest, another planting on that same acre. Um, termination costs, so if one benefit of cover crops is it tends to dry out fields a little bit, having all those plants growing. And if you do decide, well, it's wet, and this rye field is actually my best chance of getting corn in the ground early, you have that added termination cost. You're going to have to figure out some way of taking it out. Or even if you do cut it, sometimes if you're going to try to no-till, you may get some regrowth and have to throw in that roundup instead of doing just a residual. Um, so there are some potential cost additions there. And I think to your point, Matt, you know, if you're going to take the forage and no-till corn and your normal practice is just to do a pre-emergence right after planting, 
you know, we, we're going to have regrowth of that winter forage. So we got to make sure that we maybe wait a little bit to do that residual on the corn and, and do maybe some residual and roundup to get rid of the winter forage. But you also don't want to wait too long because that winter forage will come back pretty good. And then you're competing that, that rye or that trit with the corn you're trying to grow. So you got to kind of play that game too and make sure you get your weed control under under wraps when you're dealing yep. with this. There's more timing issues, yeah. Right. I would agree. Yep. We're really, fo- we're really, we've really been focused on planting corn following these uh, options, but I, I do think it's worth mentioning that uh, beans following a rye crop is a actually a pretty nice, pretty sweet deal. Yep. Um, pretty good weed suppression. Obviously, winter rye and so- and soybeans are a lot different in their um, the way they handle herbicides. So you don't have to work as hard to come up with something that, or you know, you don't have to work as hard to kill the rye and soybeans. That is a good point, Max. Is you want to plant one of these after corn silage, like you just said earlier, and then the crop following it. I mean, I've seen sorghum work, and I've seen soybeans almost work better, obviously, because you you don't get that penalty for losing that May season, you know, month of May yep. for growth. So you're right, it's thinking outside of the box in your rotation of where it can, or oats after. I, and you know, there's your, a lot of other crops that could work. Your nutrition competition is different too when you go from rye to soybeans, where rye and corn, they're competing for the same nutrients for, for all N. the time, yeah. mm-hmm. yep. right? Where soybeans, they, you know, they make their own, so they don't need it, right? Yeah, and if you are going to plant that corn acre, um, you're probably going to want to push the nitrogen a little bit more and sooner on the corn um, because that rye is going to take up some nitrogen, going to tie up some some nutrients being in that field. So you want to um, be sure you're on top of your management, I think is a lot of the points we're getting to with, with these disadvantages is it takes a more well-managed um, look at that acre rather than just, oh, plant it, spray it, we're done. Um, there are some more considerations when it comes to these types of working with these types of crops. And then the last thing is the allelopathic effect. Um, it's always a hard word to say for me. <laughs> I would say allelopathy, but I, I don't, yeah. And so rye does have a an effect on other plants, um, which is why it's good for weed suppression. Which right? is, yep, helps with weed suppression, but it can also um, potentially suppress your row crop. So um, I haven't seen a lot of issues with it. Uh, it's, it's tricky because it's. Is it the car? Is it the carbon and nitrogen sort of penalty, or right. is it allopathy? So it is hard to tell which it is. But I would agree with you, Matt. It tends to more be the nitrogen effect. I feel than yeah, if you're, true allopathy. If you're on top of your nitrogen, usually you don't see it. But I did. I did hear a speaker one time. Now I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about the allopathy is is when the rye is actually dying. Like that was their take. Was yep. Is when it was dying. So if you you kill it, kill the rye or the the trid and then you plant the corn you may have a little less effect than if you plant green and kill it and then it's dying when the corn is trying to grow so sure yep um but yeah it's it's still there it is a a known um potential issue with with having rye so um just things to consider when you're looking at winter forages and uh make sure you're doing your due diligence when you're planting so Now let's move into our spotlight for today. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Lando Lakes Microsoft 
carbon credit program. So, Truterra, subsidiary of Land O'Lakes, launched carpet crediting a carpet credit. Yeah, I can talk. Really, I can. <laughs> carbon. A carbon credit program on Thursday, <clears throat> uh, last Thursday, so about a week ago, in which Microsoft, its first buyer, will pay twenty dollars per ton for carbon sequestered in the soil. Programs called True Carbon and will help farmers generate and sell carbon credits to private sector buyers. So carbon trading, carbon credits has um, been somewhat of a hot topic in the last couple of years. You've got um, different programs like this one. Indigo Ag is one. Um, i trying to think. General Mills has a carbon program, as does... Uh, there's another one, too, I can't think of who is off the top of my head. When you're reading farm magazines this winter, are you guys seeing this sort of being a boom kind of year where we're taught, you know, kind of like the drone thing of 10 years ago and everything was about drones and man, it sure seems like if I had to pick a topic, this would be the one of I've taken a lot of questions winter. on this, like guys just asking like, Hey, what's the deal with this carbon trading thing? And what are you guys doing yeah. about it? Or how do I, how do I track my carbon, you know, sequ- 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 sequestration? sequestration, sequestration, so that I know I can get paid for it. just questions like that, and I don't think I've ever taken those until all of a sudden, like December and January this year. But I do think there's a push, you know, I know maybe not so much in the industry, but like countrywide of of more conservation and just sustainability. I mean, you saw the, the we go back to the Super Bowl ad, but Chipotle had the ad about sustainable farming and that kind of thing too. And so I I think it's more just society pushing that sustainability word. Yeah, we've all kind of dealt with it a little bit in the last few years through different things. I mean, we've um, these watershed programs, yep. a lot of these essentially deal with this just in a different way. Um, yeah, so the, the adaptive management that we're doing with the wastewater treatment plants, putting conservation practices, paying for conservation practice out on the farmland to benefit you know, kind of as a trading for their phosphorus that they put into the water kind of thing. Yeah, and this is just now another level of using that conservation practice for the carbon sequestration part of it rather than specifically the sequestration. The so, so, yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's another one of those words that I <laughs> I cannot get, like a lillipathy a <laughs> and sequestration. So tonight when you go home, look in the mirror. And say those two words. Sequestration. 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 I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, people like me. Be talking to myself in the mirror tonight. (laughs) You are pretty. You are smart. (laughs) You is kind. You No. All right. Now we'll move into the Egg History Minute. Gotta love me some banjo. All right. We're going to talk a little bit about the soil bank program. So during the mid-1950s, farm commodity surpluses were increasing and net farm income was declining. Department of Agriculture under Secretary Ezra Taft Benson, leadership, favored reducing production of surplus commodities by lowering price supports, but Congress resisted this approach. The USDA administration was philosophically opposed to production control through either acreage allotments or marketing quotas. But the Congress and the administration did 
agree on an alternative, voluntary land retirement through acreage rental payments to farmers. The Soil Bank, or Title I of the Agricultural Act of 1956, had multiple purposes, reducing production of basic crops, maintaining farm income, and conserving soil. So set aside. Set aside acres, yeah. Is that the start of CRP? or is I would different? think, yeah, it would be somewhat related to yeah, CRP, but yeah. So Con- Conservation seems to be a, tre- a trending theme through today's episode. <laughs> well, it is, a, like Bill mentioned earlier, it is a trending theme through agriculture today. We hear more mm-hmm. and more about different conservation efforts. So it's just, just the way it is. Just keep your soil in place. <laughs> Todd? Yes, if you like what you're hearing out there, please go to naicc.org, and there you can find an independent crop consultant in your area. We thank you for listening. We appreciate all the listeners out there. Um, been getting a lot more downloads, and please, just we need more subscribers. So tell a farmer friend what it is and click the subscribe button on your phone. And Matt, where can they follow us? You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right, let's get into some current events. So, cool beans, that's corny time. Cool beans? Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. All right, our cool beans for this week. USDA predicts robust farm income in 2021, aided by market rally. So, good news for farmers expecting... Higher incomes? Well, maybe I guess it depends on what side of the fence you sit on as far as paying taxes. But And it depends whether <laughs> it actually comes to fruition, right. too. Happens, That's what yep. is as hard as, like, they forecast these and then... And how much will it drive input costs, too, right? In, uh, oh, we've yeah. already seen those. We've seen yeah. fertilizer jumping, yeah. so, yeah. Yep. And when you're buy, say, a, a dairy farm, which most of our listeners are, have to buy these commodities to feed... They're cows. That also makes it hard when, when, if milk doesn't rally or do a little bit more. So it's just a tricky thing too to say. You know, like this is looking at overall farm income. Milk is going to rally though, Todd. Uh, I've already decided. You you said said. yes. Max has. Are you going to tweet? You're going to tweet about it. I spoke with the powers that be, and it's. Please ask Elon Musk just to tweet about it, and then it'll. it'll I ate cheese curds for lunch. I'm doing my part. (laughs) Is that the deal? <laughs> gotta gotta consume that dairy. Forgot to get cheese on my burger. No, Culver's forgot your cheese. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. Like, I I think you not an call, ad for Culver's. Hey, hey, call right to Craig and be like, nor, it should just be automatic. Even on a hamburger, they better just slap a slab of cheese on. Nor do we need to start a fight with Culver's. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to get banned. Guys. Not no free ads, but don't fight Culver's either. <laughs> so you're saying, Todd, any any Culver's in Wisconsin, the default is, is cheese. Yeah, like, even you, you have no choice. Yes, if you want a hamburger, you should say cheeseburger you know with no cheese, yeah. and if, then if they maybe, the and then they'll still put cheese. No, if you don't want cheese, you just peel it off, man. <laughs> right. Well, isn't a cheeseburger without cheese just one piece of cheese instead of two? Is that what? Yes. yes. You're right. You're right. Correct. It's just half the cheese. Oh, no. Is that Scoopy at the door? <laughs> They're listening. <laughs> they know. Scoopy with his baseball bat. Scoopy's got a baseball bat. He's coming after Todd. Uh, yep. You mess it with the Culver's. I mess it with you. <laughs> Uh, apparently, Scoopy's Italian. Yes. All right. And our uh, that's corny for this week. Easter Day Ranches files for Chapter 11 in wake of a Tyson suit. So Easter Day Ranch Incorporated is filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. 
protection following a civil lawsuit last week between Tyson Foods, alleging the company defrauded Tyson of more than $225 million related to 200,000 cattle that did not exist. Hard to, hard to slaughter those non-existent cattle and make a profit. <laughs> Well, not for the farm not for, to make the, the farm could make a profit, but yeah, Tyson's as you, as you read this headline, you like you're like, oh, this is on Tyson's part where it's corny, and then when you actually read the story, you're like, wait a second, they stole two hundred twenty five million dollars. <laughs> they got hosed, Tommy. They got hosed. Yeah, so it's just all around a corny. I'm not sure which part is more corny, but it's just an all around just not a not a great look for anybody. How do you how do you bill someone? This says. Easter Day billed the company for more than 200,000 cattle that never existed. How does it... That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I guess... It, I wonder what, what... Does it say over what time period? It started in 2016. 2016. So I'm guessing, yeah, it's a couple head every sure. every load or something. I, I don't know how many loads they get in a year, but... Right. In the last five years. Yeah, yeah think of how many... Think how many full cattle trailers that is to get oh, that yeah. many. Yeah. That's insane. That's a lot ahead. All right. Happens. Time to wrap her all up. So we've got our egg idiom of the week. Max, what do you got for us? All right. So our egg idiom of the week is when pigs fly, which means uh, what you, something you say when you believe that something won't happen or it just seems unreal. I actually do have a... You have a good one? I have a short skit here. Who would like to read <laughs> Who would like to read the first part? And I will read the other part. I... I, I will read the first part. All for right, you, you're you're Romeo. I'll be Juliet. Okay, you read the first part. Um, just okay. kidding. Not Romeo and Juliet. Just read the first part. Just read the. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm out now. Nope. Just read your Dad. part. Right. Just read your part. <clears throat> the Lions will win the Super Bowl. Yeah, when pigs fly. <laughs> you needed a. That was yeah, it. Yeah, where's the drum roll, Ted? That was it. I was gonna do the. No, no, no! Don't do it. The horn. He keeps giving that guy the horn. So, uh, so there you go. There's your there's your unrealistic belief for the day that the Lions will ever win the Super Bowl. We we just lost we, one listener <laughs> with that idiot. Oh, Lions fan. Un- oh, unfortunately, uh, the Packers did pick up a former Lions coach. Only sixteen. So. Defensive coordinator. Yeah. Maybe, was our defense really good that year though? No. The Owen 16 year? To be Owen 16, I'm pretty sure. I don't you're think you can have a really good defense. It's bad. Just ask the Browns. They're, they know a more, little more recently what that feels like. Fair enough. I feel like, though, that, that idiom, though, is like a cornerstone of. Of egg idioms? Like, that we haven't idiom, done it yet, surprises yeah, me. Like, that is, that's like the first one you one. use when you're little, like when pigs fly. What about when you give your pigs Red Bull? Anybody think of that? Well, we, my wife has a flying pig. In the kitchen, it's like a little decorative thing. It's a pig with wings, so I'm not sure why. I just don't ask she questions. Winged, winged pigs. The the sure. origins of that one are weird. They're, they're not very. It's actually from. Specific. It's like a British thing about like, uh, or no. It just says the no. phrase has been used in various forms since the 1600s as a sarcastic remark. Like it was just maybe just because pigs like, are so large and like stubby legs, yeah, like they're just never gonna fly. I I do. I'm thinking of this too late now, but um, there's a a Simpsons thing that Todd I'm gonna. So I've, I've found it before. Spider- I couldn't find a the good spider pig uh, thing. 
No, no, no. There's it was a, like there's a, a when pigs, pigs fly thing with Mr. Burns and Smithers, and yeah, the, and the pig flies by. by. Yeah. Oh, I, I know what you're talking yeah. about. As he says, "Hell, oh, when pigs fly," and then they're laughing, and then all of a sudden a pig does fly. It has something to do with Homer and a barbecue, I think, if I remember the episode correctly. But what doesn't go back to the Simpsons? Uh, not much, because they've, they've they're still on TV. Still yeah. They've the literally pandemic. been on TV my entire life. <laughs> I don't think I... <laughs> That's true. I mean, obviously there might have been a couple of years where it was inconsistent when I was born, but I don't remember them, so... Sure. As long as I can remember, there has been a Simpsons. So, and for some kids, that's Family Guy. Family Guy's been on a long time, too, so... <laughs> That's my childhood. <laughs> well, Sim- the Simpsons because we didn't have we didn't have cable like a long time when I was growing up. Or like di- what dish? That's not cable, right? Satellite. Yep. Yeah, we didn't have that, but we had we had we had rabbit ears, so you could watch the Simpsons yep. on channel thirty two. I believe at six right. weekdays, but then you could also watch it after Packer games on Sundays. Yeah, so on Sunday, Sunday night. On Sunday night was the new ones. Yeah, six, six, seven. Yep. Yeah, six. I think it's six. Right, and animation domination starts at six. Right. So, So. all right. Well, there you go. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So if you're interested in Winter Forages, it could be a good option for you. In our spotlight, we looked at carbon trading through Land O'Lakes and Microsoft's trading platform. Egg History Minute, we talked about the soil bank, which was uh, set-aside acres, essentially. Cool Beans was expected higher incomes for farms this year and our that's corny was the lawsuit fallout leading to a chapter 11 bankruptcy for easter day ranches over 200,000 non-existent cattle and our ag idiom was when pigs fly so uh, thanks for listening and as always happy farming